Hey everyone, this is Matt Kamen, your host for Nonprofit on the Rocks and co-founder of Envision Consulting, which is a national search and strategy firm working with nonprofits across the country. And with us as always is Ashley Watterson, our producer. How are you doing, Ashley? Apparently better than you, bud. Yeah, this has been a <laughs> just crap week. My brain isn't working. I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, what's happening to me? I mean, we know it's not old age because you're only 36. Right. So right. you've got a ways to go before it can be that. Just so everyone knows, Ashley and I always like record this intro outro and I completely forgot what it was that I was supposed to say about my title for this show. And so what I think that means, Ashley, is the fact that I forgot that I am actually the host <laughs> means that the public has spoken and it's time for me to be fired. You know what we should do? We need to call Kim because Kim's a avid listener and ask Kim. She wants your job. She can have mine, right? True, true. Kim Peterson was gunning for my job. And Matt, I think she might be willing to take on yours too. It is October which means that your favorite holiday is fast approaching. And it also means it is the return of La Creepy Casa. You want to tell our listeners about that? So yes, the La Creepy Casa uh, handle on Instagram is my Halloween house. Yes, I have nothing else going for me in my life. So I did that. And yes, you need to check it out because I really do, I think, do a really good job for Halloween. So La Creepy Casa. And by the way, Ashley, I think we're almost at our two-year anniversary for this show. We are. I think November 16th, 2020 was when our first episode of Nonprofit on the Rocks aired. But okay, backing up for one second though, because I want to hear a little bit more about La Creepy Casa, because I feel like there's a lot of pressure on you and Philip now, because, you know, Every year you do this, you put the Instagram page out there. You can't just, like the rest of us, we keep the stuff in storage. Like we have a spider that goes on our gate. Its name is Richard Scary, which I think is the best name ever. And my son named it that. He comes out every year and I do like a little wreath on the door. It's very simple. A couple of pumpkins. Great. Nobody cares. You can't just do that. No. It's a production. Thank you, Ashley, for recognizing how difficult my life is every year when I think about Halloween. Like, this is not easy. You have expectations to meet. So do you know what my favorite decoration is that's in my house right now, outside of my house? Is your skeleton doing something really funny? I know. Barbie, who I need you to know is quite the whore in my neighborhood. <laughs> like as in Barbie doll? She finds herself on a regular basis in a different skeleton orifice. And it's just really amazing to me how much Barbie gets around. Like I thought she was like just a pure Ken lover. And actually she's real dirty. So I'm really trying to picture this. I'm trying to clarify this for the audience. So is this an elf on the shelf type situation? But instead of like the elf on the shelf moving around to cute little places in your house and bringing Christmas cheer, whore Barbie moves around to different skeletons in your yard and their orifices. Is that accurate? Uh thousand percent. All I can tell you is that Barbie right now is riding the head of the skeleton dog, but the day before she was inside his mouth. So like, I don't know what's going on over there, but she is. She's got some creepy fetishes. Mm -hmm. We'll just kind of put it that way. This is what our show has devolved into. Barbie attacking skeletons in my front yard. 
Well, Matt, I need to come by this year to see La Creepy Casa. Because I always see the pictures and you and Philip do such a good job. I want to scare every single child that comes to my house. And if I do, then I've won. So like, that's what Halloween means to me. So Matt, speaking of like creepy dolls, I went home to Kansas City this last weekend because my parents moved and I was helping go through some things. And my niece, who's nine, found a box of my sister's and my old toys. And in it was my sister's very favorite doll. It was a Madame Alexander doll. I don't know if that means anything to you having grown up in the eighties, but my niece could not even go to the basement. She was so creeped out by this doll. <laughs> now, to be fair, Mary Victoria may or may not have had any clothes left. May not have had an eye that like didn't flutter open and may or may not have had a head that spun 360 degrees. But the point is that this was my sister's beloved doll and her own daughter is terrified of it, which just makes me feel really old, Matt, that like children are terrified of the toys we played with as children. By the way, just talking about age, I was just on Instagram because I didn't feel like working today. And I was looking at, you know, like, how do you know that you're old? And the, the thing that I remember that I thought was amazing is that, you know, when you used to pick up the phone, but you didn't know who was calling, right? So like back in the day, no caller ID children, when people picked up the phone that was on the wall in the kitchen, that was like lime green or whatever, yellow, brown. So when you picked up the phone, you didn't know who was calling, right? It was a huge mystery or who it was going to be for. I mean, it was like a, it was a big, big to do when the phone rang. Mm -hmm. Also, remember when we had a pager, right? Do you remember what you, because you used to be able to type a message to your friends on the pager. Do you remember what like your favorite word was that you typed to your friends? Yeah, I didn't have a pager and you know why? Because I didn't sell drugs and I wasn't a doctor. Yeah. All right, well, <laughs> well, I had a pager. It was 8008. I'll let everybody figure out what that was. Oh, boob. But would it be, if you put a two, would it then be boobs? 28008? <laughs> <laughs> Funny, Matt, that was probably the only time you were ever interested in boobs. (laughs) (laughs) On that, on all of that, I think it's time that we introduce this episode and let our listener off the hook. (laughs) So this is my friend, Edward Amy. I'm very excited. He is the CEO of Jane Nolan Community Services, a phenomenal organization. I hope that people learn a lot on this show. I was on my soapbox a little bit about hiring folks who are developmentally disabled. It is really important. You will hear about that in the show, but just so you know, in the developmentally disabled community, 75% of adults who can work are unemployed. And in this job market where we can't find people to hire, that's an entire population people are ignoring. And so you'll hear me talk about it and I'm talking about it again. Please, 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 if you are listening to this show and you do have the option to hire people, Think about Jane Nolan, think about other organizations that serve this population because they are willing and able and happy to work. Well, maybe you'll go to Jane Nolan for the replacement for me, Matt, who knows? Yes, Ashley, that may be actually happening. And I appreciate that it took you this long to figure that out. Well, honestly, I I better up my game because I know there are a lot of amazing people at Jane Nolan that are looking for work. Yes. So... On that note, Ashley, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners who are left? Just thanks for sticking with us. Enjoy this interview. 
Hello, my friend, Edward. How are you doing this evening? Doing great, Matt. Good to be here with you. Thanks. I want everybody to know that this is my extraordinarily humongous screw up. And this is our third time, actually, our third time to try because we've done this before. I recorded it incorrectly. Ashley is like so mad at me. So this <laughs> is our and then we tried to do it again and then we had to cancel. So this is our third time. It's going to be amazing. Edward. This is going to be the best interview ever. It's going to be awesome. Awesome. So <laughs> what are you drinking on this third try of this interview? Well, no matter when you're asking me what I'm drinking, it'll always be single malt scotch, two ice cubes. Two ice cubes. All right. Yeah, but they're two, either the stones or in my case, I use the, uh, the steel. That way I can just a little bit of water, just the right amount, never changes. Got it. Two steel ice cubes. So if anybody is listening to this show and needs to get Edward a gift, it's those really amazing fake ice for brown liquor. That's what you need to get Edward for Christmas this year. There you go. Yes. And I am drinking Weller bourbon. I have to tell you, I have to be honest with you. I've cut out brown liquor for the last three weeks, but with you, I brought it back. So cheers, my friend. I am, I am abundantly honored. In fact, it, it, to your honor, I actually started trying out some different bourbons after I made a trip to New Orleans for a conference. And one of my local liquor store guys recommended one, Eagles Run. And it's not terribly expensive, but it's really nice. Yeah, Eagle Eagle Rare. That's it, Eagle Rare. Thank you. Eagle Rare, and it's so good. It's one of my favorites. I have to tell you, in Kentucky, where they make it, it costs like $120 for the bottle for whatever reason. But here in LA, where they don't make it and they ship it to, it's like 40 bucks a bottle. So like- Exactly. I was shocked at how good it was for $40 a bottle. I didn't know. I'll be sure not to go buy it where it's from. Seriously. So, okay. I'm making an amendment that anybody who buys Edward a gift with those rocks also have to get him a bottle of Eagle Rare. There you go. There, there we go. go. There it is. Thank you. All right. So thank you for joining us yet again. And before we start, I would love to ask you just a few questions about what is happening in the developmentally disabled world, because you run a nonprofit working with the developmentally disabled community, and I really think people need to know what's happening. Backing up, I'm going to, we're going to use an acronym for this show because it makes it easier. So when I say IDD, that means intellectually or developmentally disabled adult. So that's what we're talking about here, the, the adults, the clients that you serve, so IDD. And so the first thing that I want to ask you about, and it's crazy to me, is we are in this country looking for workers. Every place has signs out for workers, right? So within the IDD community, folks who can work, who are willing to be employed, what is the percentage of unemployment in that community? People with intellectual development disabilities, it's, it, it's north of 75%. It's horrendous. So, so people who can work, who are intellectually developmentally disabled, 75% of that population is not employed, has not been hired. And That's so right. this is my question. If we are all looking for people to work for us, every store you look at, why aren't there more IDD folks who are employed and working at those stores? We're seeing movement there. That's basically the challenge I laid down to the division here at, at Jane Nolan that focuses on employment support services. And they saw it as an opportunity. Now their challenge is also hiring people to support job coaches, job developers. So that it sort of is a circular hampering, but this has opened up the conversation, Matt. It's incredible. And so programs like Jane Nolan already had in place. We have a partnership with College of the Canyons 
in Santa Clarita and with DOR, this, this great thing called the Uniquely Abled Academy. And we have folks on the autism spectrum and other developmental disabilities that they have to test. And the math test is incredible. In fact, I don't think I could pass it to get into this program to be trained to operate CNC machines. And that's uh, computer numerically controlled machines. They build parts for things that go into aerospace and cars and even little tiny tchotchkes, but that have to be precise and they have to be the same every single time. And these machines are extremely expensive and they operate them on 24 hours, three shifts. And so this program trains individuals in that. And then Jay Nolan comes alongside, the COC provides the training. We provide the soft skills training, how to interview, be a good employee, interact with colleagues and all those different things, interview skills, resume writing. And then we provide a, a job fair at the end and then support them in their role until we can fade out from that. And we have a 98% placement rate because they are really, really good at this. It is in their wheelhouse. It's, and that's why it's called the Uniquely Abled Academy because it's instead of saying, hey, do something that'll make you feel good, it's, I have solved a business problem for you. Your job is repetitive and it's exacting. And I have people who are really, really good at that. And they're making a fantastic wage. Well, one guy owns his own condo. And he works the knock shift and rides his mountain bike during the day because that's what makes him happy. He's living his best life. And he's a taxpayer, unfortunately, for like the rest of us, but it's his contribution. We had one individual that came into a company. And at that point in time, the part that they were making, the average among the team was eight an hour. Three months into his employment there, his personal average was 12. Now that makes, oh, that's cool. No, that's a 50% increase straight to that employer's bottom line. Mm. He's like, when's your next cohort? <laughs> and uh, when we do our job fair, it is the day of their graduation. And of the 10 in this last cohort, seven had multiple job offers that day. Wow. Well, so here's, here's my question then. So it, that's such a great example and such a great story. So if, if I'm the manager of Trader Joe's and my Trader Joe's is always looking for people to hire, why should I hire any developmentally disabled adult? Why should I hire them? What I explained kind of carries over. It's like you're looking for employees that one, haven't opted out of the job market because they don't want to work. Two, are not there to give you the bare minimum, but instead are excited to be contributing, taking whatever job it is that you have hired them for seriously. Like this is mine. It's mine to own. You know, and again, it's whether it's the guy watering the vegetables to make sure they don't look like crap when you go in and to shop or whether it's someone stocking shelves or whether it's cashier checking out and, and all of you listening, yes, someone with an intellectual developmental disability can do any of those jobs and do it well. The difference is you're going to get an employee who wants to be there, right? I love my job, what I get to do. I want to come into work every day because it's meaningful to me. It is the same for these folks. They're not checking out because, hey, I'd rather be home uh, playing video games or something. And I'm not trying to be too hard on, on our, our workforce population right now, but a whole chunk fell off the market. And I don't only I can't think of what else they're doing because they're not working. But you have a population and the conversation has now begun to be more open. People are going, OK, because it's if I can't open my restaurant the same amount of hours I used to, I'm losing money. And you see that you see altered hours, not because these people don't want to have, be open and serving meals, but instead they don't have the staff for it. So you go, look, let me introduce you to a different 
mindset, which is employees, you may need to train a little bit, or you may need to be tolerant of a job coach with them, but you will get their very best every day. I am the manager of the Trader Joe's store by me. And you just told me all that information. I'm like, cool. Now I haven't had anybody whose IDD applied for the job. I don't know where to find them. So I know there are organizations like Jay Nolan, organizations like yours. How do I go out and find folks for this job? What should I do? The selfish I'm going to tell you is, is call me. I've got more people than you can hire. And, and yes, there are others. And I would point you in the direction of someone if it's closer to you than I am. But I would start to search for employment services for folks with disabilities. And you will get flooded with an opportunity. And I tell you, all you got to do is drop an interest and, and people will be brought to your door. It'll be the easiest hiring experience you'll ever have. You will get folks that have been coached and trained on how to present a resume that's concise and to the point, how to interview that's concise and to the point. And then you're going to get somebody who's going to show up. I know folks listening to this right now are going, yeah, I get all the way to hiring somebody and day one of training or day one of the job, they just don't show up. Where'd they go? We got a term for that. It's called ghosting you, right? You're not going to have that for a variety of reasons. But first and foremost is that individual has made a commitment to you and they take that seriously because they've been let down by commitment made to them by our state, by other organizations, all that. They know what it's like to be let down. They're not going to do that to you. Mm. So it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned that, by the way, about interview skills and resume writing. I have so many kids who have graduated college come to talk to me about how can I find a job, right? I'm a recruiter. And how do I break into this world? They don't know how to write a resume. They don't know how to interview for jobs. And it's so frustrating to me because yeah. if you're going to spend $60,000, $80,000 a year at a private college, you should at least have one class on like how to work. You would think, yeah. So again, so going back to this lovely manager at Trader Joe's who doesn't have anything more important to do. So what she needs to do is she needs to just Google nonprofits working with this population. And yeah, I dial it into employment support services for people with disabilities. And you'll see the, like you're looking for it and those will be the people that you can go to. Okay. And here in the greater Los Angeles area and in Northern California, Jay Nolan is one of those people or one of those organizations that can give you those people. Oh, I forgot you guys have an office in Northern California. I totally forgot about that. So I really want people to hear that and really listen to Ed because it's really important that if 75% of folks who are capable of working in this population do not have a job and are looking, it is really our responsibility to hire them, especially when we can't find workers. So please Google it. Please reach out to Jay Nolan. Please reach out to Edward. And let's get people employed. That's the number one thing I want from the show. Then we're going to get you donations. I call it the tip of the spear in our mission, right? We have a variety of services that we provide, but employment services, I call that tip of the spear because that's how we as a culture, the American culture kind of look at contribution. Now, there are lots of ways people can contribute to community, but that is one right like when you ask somebody's name. And then the next thing is, what do you do, right? That's our natural kind of flow of conversation. And so for me, it's like what I want people to see, and then it changes a lot of other thinking is when they see contribution and they see it valued and they receive that value. That's when it changes the community for the better. Mm. When someone actually receives the value of someone's contribution, I don't want them looking like, Oh, isn't that nice that Trader Joe's hired that nice young man? No, I want them to experience where are, where can I find that great pepper jelly 
that I love so much that goes on my taquitos, right? And they go, oh, it's right over here, ma'am. And there's a polite ma'am and there's a you're welcome and there's anything else I can do for you. And you're like, man, am I really glad I walked into Trader Joe's today because I don't get this at Walmart. Not to pick on Walmart, but then they've received that value and they go, wait a minute, that felt right and good. And I felt important for a minute. Yeah. I, again, I hear it from you and I know it from personal experience. Like it's so frustrating when you have an organization that you're running like Jay Nolan, you have all these able-bodied people who can work and they are just ignored because they're invisible. I try really hard not to get on my soapbox on this show. I really do, Edward. I try, but like, this is the one issue that drives me the most crazy. If anybody is listening, who knows me and listens to this show, like, there's no reason for these folks to be unemployed. There's no reason for nonprofits like yours to go beg people to hire them. So right. again, I'm putting it out there one more time. It's enough already. Let's hire some of your people. Let's hire folks who are developmentally disabled because they deserve the job and they can do it. I'm right there with you. And we eat our own cooking, if you will. I have folks that are data entry. I have folks that are administration. I have folks that are supporting folks. All to have a developmental disability or a physical disability. Like people are, I don't know what to do. It's like, just treat them like a person, right? See the person, not the disability, right? And, And it's okay to be uncomfortable. That's the thing. It's like, I think we're afraid to be uncomfortable. Well, if I say something wrong, they'll let, hey, that hurt my feelings. And you go, I'm really sorry. That wasn't what I intended to do. And now you're in relationship. Now you're having a dialogue and you learned something and they experienced you as being, compassionate that you think, well, I didn't mean to make that mistake. So I'm not going to make that one again. And it's changing the dynamic and bringing people in from the margins. And when you, when you look at that data, it should horrify you. But the next thing it should do, it goes, so what does that mean for me? Now, if you're not somebody who hires, that's fine. But you could tell somebody who hires, whether it's in your company or another company that, for example, autism, they're roughly hanging around one in 58 to somewhere down in the one in 40s, which means the vast majority of us have probably come into contact with people with autism. And many of them have a picture in their head that it's very limiting and they can't do any. No, that's not true. There's a variety of things, right? I, I met a young guy a couple of years ago that writes video games for Android based smartphones. He's an entrepreneur. He owns his own business. Every time somebody clicks that game, he gets paid. I'm like, dude, that's really cool because he works when he wants to work. And when he's not working, people are still downloading his games. There's a place for everybody. I believe that. I can't tell you I've found every place for everybody, but I believe there's a place for everybody. Mm. And I've said this a billion times, and, and I know my staff is probably tired of hearing it, but I know they believe it. And that is a community is not whole and it is not healthy until every member has the opportunity to contribute. And I say an opportunity because sometimes with a disability or no disability, some people check out and they don't contribute. That's their choice too. But as long as they have the opportunity, then our community is headed towards health. So you said something that I think was really important for folks to hear. And I'm going to tell you a story, Edward, and I hope you don't think any less of me than you possibly already do. So you basically said like, you have to treat everybody equally and don't just think because they have disabilities that they're different and all this stuff, like like they're people like we are, right? So my very first job when I graduated UCLA was working as the social coordinator for an organization working with development disabled adults. That was my first job out of college. And I think that's also, by the way, why I have such a connection to this population. The biggest lesson that I learned, and again, 
I don't want you to think less of me, but I think this was a really important lesson for people to know mm -hmm. is that I hadn't ever come in contact with anybody disabled. I didn't know how to work with the population. Kind of like what you were saying, right? Like you, there are people like us. And my, on like the second week that I was on the job, I had three of my clients scream at me because I was five minutes late for a, like a party. And I thought to myself, holy crap, developmentally disabled people can be assholes as well. And so that was it. That was my turning point where right. I was like, wait a second, these are, these are, they are like anybody else. Like, let's stop treating them any differently. And so that was a, <laughs> a really big turning point that developmentally disabled people it, can be it assholes. It is. I love it. I had somebody start giving me crap, right? About this and about that. And I'm looking at him and all of a sudden you see the shift across his face and this twinkle and he winks at me. I'm like, you're screwing with me. And he just starts laughing. It was the best day of his life because he is giving the CEO crap and enjoying it and watching me squirm for a second. And then when he's like, dude, mm -hmm. he and I are buds. I love it because I love teasing. I love good sense of humor and all that. And he full on got me. And people say, you're like, oh, one of the characteristics of people with autism is they don't understand the nuances of, of human interaction. Bullshit. It's just not true. It's unique to each person. Like every person is unique, right? You say, oh, well, I don't have that same kind. I don't have the same sense of humor as that guy. I don't get his jokes. Okay, that doesn't make something wrong with him or wrong with you. You just joke differently, right? Yes. And it's the nuances are received and reflected differently. Yep. There are jokes or nuances or physical gestures from culture to culture that have nothing to do with any kind of disability or anything that you just don't get if you aren't in that culture. Thank you. And thank you for not making me feel like a jerk. But anyway, that's important. And I, I really do want people to know that and hear that, that like at the end of the day, like we're all different, every one of us, yes. and we should all be treated equally. Let's talk about equally for a second though, because that I think is a key thing that people don't understand. They throw it around a lot and certainly use it as a weapon from time to time. We don't need that. What treating people equally is, is giving them the opportunity to be themselves in relationship with you that means like you kind of pointed out you may not you might not like that person in that person being in relationship with me as themselves doesn't work for me then it's on me to say hey this isn't working for me i'm not asking you to change i'm just like our relationship's going to be different it's not going to be as close or what or it might be hey man when you say that that hurts my feelings oh my god i didn't mean to so they change a little bit you change a little bit but, but treating each other equally means giving that person the opportunity to be uniquely them and you be uniquely you and find that space that you're in relationship. And they will vary wildly, right? Some will be so close you get married and other people will be so far away, probably your aunts and uncles and cousins that are so far away that you're like, hey, cards are once a year. No, but you know, what I mean, it's like those relationships are dynamic if you allow people to show up as themselves. Right. I, I'm married. My wife is very different than me. And I thank God for that every day because I could not be in relationship with somebody like me. And, and I adore her for, for so many of the differences that make our relationship unique and rewarding. And, and I just, without a doubt has secured her place in heaven for, <laughs> for putting up with me. But that's the thing. It's like when we're talking about soft skills and interview skills and stuff like that, that's not changing who you are. That's recognizing how to express who you are in a way that that person in that environment will receive it. So they can go, ah, this person has the skills to do this job. 
thank you for educating me, but also everybody else, because that's really important. And again, again, I'm going to get off my soapbox, but this is really important. So I hope people heard this and listened to it and will make a change in their behavior this week. That's what we're putting out there. You mentioned CEO, and that's really important. I have a few questions, not about you being the CEO of Jane Nolan, just about you being the CEO of a nonprofit, period, right? Mm -hmm. So you are in charge of a nonprofit. It's a multi-million dollar organization. You have to deal with budgeting and payroll and finances and lawsuits and insurance and all that crap. And you get to help the clients while you're at it. So, you know, folks who listen to this show are in the mid part of their career. Maybe they want to be an executive director of a nonprofit. Maybe they don't. So... I have a few questions for you, but first, what is your most favorite part about being a CEO, not the CEO of Jay Nolan, just a CEO of a nonprofit? The answer would be the same, I think, either way, and that is the opportunity to help people grow in their career and who they are. I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek, and one of his quotes is, you're not in charge. You are caring for those in your charge. And that's how I view it. What I do is nonprofit CEO or ED executive director, you are a steward. It does not belong to you, right? It belongs to the public and you have to be a steward of those relationships and those resources. And if you do that well, it goes way beyond you, right? And you should be thinking that way. So my favorite, most rewarding part about it is to be able to to see talent in someone and nurture it and pull it out and put them in the right spot where they blossom, I get so much joy out of watching that happen. It's cool. But that's lovely. That's what's so great about being a boss. I mean, at the end of the day, listen, like staff drive me insane, but also make me happy. So I love that about your answer. Okay. And now on the flip, again, this is not about Jay Nolan, so nobody can call you out. Uh, <laughs> I realize semantics matter, but really what's the least favorite part for you of being a CEO of a nonprofit? I guess it's dealing with the legalities of being an employer, especially in the state of California. There are so many landmines and potholes and things that just get in the way of mission. And so you see that play out with lawyers or you just see that play, play out in so many ways where resources are sucked up from mission to deal with that. So when I ran, oh my God, Ashley gets so mad at me when I talk about this, but that's okay. When I ran the homeless shelter on the East Coast, it was hard for me because at some point I just became like that executive that was in my office and I had to deal with all the other stuff and fundraising and networking and everything. And I didn't really get to see my clients and I didn't really get to interact with my clients. And truly that's what made me want to get into nonprofit. That's what made me want to be in leadership. But as you get higher and higher in leadership, especially those really big nonprofits, you're far away from your clients. So as the CEO of Jane Nolan, a very large nonprofit here in LA and Northern California, how do you get your fill? How do you get that back? You're absolutely right. You get farther and farther away from the front line. And I do it in a variety of ways. One, I carve out time as much as I possibly can to be in team meetings with departments. So I'm hearing from the teams what's going on. And so I'm putting names to great stories and successes and challenges. And then I also get personally involved in scenarios where I can add value either from my psychology background or because I'm a techie nerd. And so I get involved in stuff like that. I remind myself regularly. 
And then I remind my team when we got the big spreadsheets out and we're talking about budgets and numbers and all this stuff, I'll stop and say, hey, while we're making these decisions, we've got to remember that the, at the other end of all these numbers are people. And it makes you think differently sometimes about what you're going to do. Okay. So I also get asked this question all the time. What kind of person should be a CEO of a nonprofit versus like running the programming or getting into fundraising? Like what kind of person should be in charge of a nonprofit? If being at the helm is something you want to do and you feel like you'd be good at it, you've got to watch for that demon that is burnout because he is over your shoulder and he's just waiting to suck you dry. And so the only balance against him is knowing how to refill, knowing what does it for you. Second is, this is the toughie, the balance, <laughs> compassion with a thick skin. You've got to not take everything personally because people, when they're hurting, they hurt others, right? I'm a huge, huge fan of a very easy read. I highly recommend it to anybody listening. And it's called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. One of the four agreements is don't take it personally. That doesn't mean don't care. That's very different. Um, and that's why that's a hard balance. Thank you for that. I think that's really important. And I agree with you. People do lash out only when they're pissed off and has nothing to do with you. Yeah. What about fundraising? So fundraising is so important in nonprofit and it's so important as a CEO. At what point in your career were you like, I'm cool with fundraising. I'm comfortable with it. I'm happy to ask people for money. Like at what point did that happen? Or are you not? No, it was actually it's funny. It, I guess I just arrived at it with like, well, that's what you do. So I'm like, okay. And I think the way to do it is to view it as giving them something that they're then willing to invest in, right? It, it's not say, oh, please give us money because we need it. That's not going to do it for anybody. What you want to do is wherever these that you're passionate about and then tell them about it. And people go, wow, I want to invest in that. That sounds really cool. And so I can be passionate and share that and say, this is something worthy of your investment. People are listening to this show and they hear about a ton of really great nonprofits. So since we're on fundraising, why should somebody give to Jay Nolan your nonprofit? The bottom line is this. If you want to make your community better for you, for you to live in, a community that's whole and it's healthy, right? Getting behind a mission that is about supporting individuals' independence and contribution that you will value and you'll receive the value from is the best investment you can make because you're really investing in your community for it to be better for everybody. And that is a fantastic legacy to have leave behind, whether it's a gift now or it's a legacy gift in your estate, those kinds of things, is to say, yes, I am behind what makes my community better. And when you see the value of your own community changing, you'd be like, I, this is absolutely where I should invest. And Jay Nolan does that in the communities that we are involved in. Who was Jay Nolan? Jay Nolan had autism disorder. He's the son of, of Lloyd Nolan, who was an actor, a contemporary of like Gene Autry. And so Jay Nolan was named in honor of him. Actually started out as a group of parents saying, we know that it can be done better for our kids. That's how it started in 1975. But it started out actually as the Autism Society of Los Angeles and then got rebranded to Jay Nolan when they started doing telephones back in the day, which is pretty cool. 
So all I think of Telephone is Jerry Lewis. That's all I think. Okay, since we're on Zoom and your background is the logo, I have a question about that logo there. So people can't see this if you're driving or listening to this show. The logo of Jay Nolan are two people in a rowing in a little boat. What the yep. hell? First of all, they're like two people. They could be two ladies, two men. Who knows? What the hell is going on back there? What are they doing? Yeah, I'm glad you asked me because I love the logo. I, I like I want it slapped on everything. My staff cracks up about it. They now it's it's almost become known as Edward's boat now instead of the Jay Nolan logo because the key to it is it is a boat, right? Representing a journey. And and usually a journey is work and you're rowing. But you'll notice if you go to our website, two people are sitting side by side. Because the journey is something we're along together. And if we're doing our job well, you wouldn't know who was supporting who. Okay, I like that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay, so now talking about your wife and spouses. One of so, my favorite topics, talk, so that's okay. Yeah, your favorite topic, your, your phenomenal wife. Who, by the way, I still haven't met and would, I'm taking it a little offensively, but one of these days you're going to invite me over for drinks at your house, right? That's, that's going to happen. Well, that's common, man. That's a done deal now. Yeah, okay. So mar- being married to somebody in nonprofit is like, I mean, running a nonprofit, it's like your, it is your wife, it's your husband. So if... If somebody is married to somebody in nonprofit and they are done, they were like, stop going to another event, stop going to another happy hour, stop networking more. What do you want to tell them? Like, why is it so important to support your partner who's always out and always working? It's it's important because it's the it's a passion of theirs. It's what they've chosen to do with the time they have, right? With their dash, right? Everybody heard about that, right? You got a date on your tombstone that's the bird and the date that you leave. It's what you do with the dash in between. This is what they're doing with that dash. Including your partner is a good idea from not all the time because you'll burn them out, but but from time to time. In my case, it always benefits me because my wife is far more charming than I am. And so when, when we're at events or whatever, she is comfortable to talk with my board and talk with donors and staff and supported individuals. So many of my staff know her. In fact, they come up to her and they'll say, we feel like we know you because Edward talks about you all the time. Uh, and she's like, ah, rolls her eyes. <laughs> my wife is incredibly supportive. When we met, I had left nonprofit for a while. I had not kind of dialed in what was the way I got my juice to do what I needed to do. And I needed some thicker skin. And I had actually left and went into tech sales. I know of all things, nurturing my nerd. And I was doing really well. And I, we had been newly married. And I said to her, I, one day I said, I just don't want to do this anymore. I need to go back to this. She didn't even blink. She went, do what makes you happy. Hmm. I know, right? Pretty incredible. <laughs> so I want to just, I, if she's this amazing, then I want to just, I want to tell everybody about you for one second and just like kind of boast about you. So we do recruiting and, and when you are interviewing for a job by us, you have to make a presentation and generally it's in person. You were not in person with the board. So it was like raining crazy and we had like, like eight people around a boardroom table. All of your competition for your job came to the office, stood in front of them, gave the presentation. They were in person with these people. This is before COVID. You... You, we had to have you call into a phone on speaker and you got the job. So I just want to tell everybody how amazing you are because you got a job running a nonprofit, having an interview on a speaker phone. This, this is before we were on Zoom. 
against people who are in person. Like, I just want people to know that about you. Like you kicked butt and you had to give a fundraising pitch on a phone. Honestly, Edward, you're awesome. So if your wife is that much cooler than you, then like, I got to meet her. I got to meet her. We'll make that happen because she is. She is way cooler than me. Thank you for that. I was stuck in San Francisco at something else and we were, I was supposed to be on a video thing and that didn't work. And I honestly, I was like, well, then you just, I just got to come through this phone, right? Because, because by that point in time, I was in love with Jay Nolan. I'm not going to lie. I was really in love with the organization. And then when I got invited to, to visit and, and meet some of the staff, it, that just did it. I was like, oh my goodness, these people are incredible. And so I'm blessed with incredible talent. Yes, you are very, very blessed with the staff that you have at Jay Nolan. There's no question about it. And because we got so involved with them, I agree with you. You've got a phenomenal team going there. So I feel like we've gone through the CEO part of a nonprofit. We've talked about Jay Nolan. We've talked about hiring folks who are intellectually developmentally disabled. We've talked about all the goodness that we can about your wife. And so before we leave folks, I'd love to know a little bit about when you go into work, what's on your desk? What is the one thing that you got to deal with tomorrow? So tomorrow is debriefing on looking at new, a new EHR. That's an electronic health record system. And we've been doing big demos around the finalists. So we're going to be debriefing. I'm pretty excited about what's, what's on our plate. And then the big day is Wednesday. I'm doing a huge visioning session, taking up a good chunk of the day with my my leadership team and the, and the middle managers it's going to be a, the kickoff event towards strategic planning because our new strategic plan is going to be done very differently than in the past and the big question is going to be what does the mission vision and value of jay nolan which i we have no desire to change we are all in for it but what does it look like for the next 20 years mm-hmm. See, to me, that's the coolest part about being a CEO is that you get yeah. to really, you get to really vision what's going on. And that's yeah. awesome that you're doing that. And that's what, that's the other reason why I asked you the question, because I think, again, people, people want to get into this world. They want to know what it's like to be in charge of a nonprofit. Well, now we know what's happening tomorrow on Tuesday, but that Wednesday is so exciting. You get to, you get to really vision like, and, yes. and make this legacy that is to me exciting about being in charge. All right. Is there anything else, Edward, before I let you leave that you would like to leave with our listeners out there? Well, okay, since you, you, you did it to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip the, the, the table on us and, and talk about you and your organization because I've had a lot of interaction with, with Envision and particularly you, but also Allison and Valerie and others. And it is a high quality and high care organization. There might be somebody who's really great skill set but not necessarily the right fit for that organization, but they are for this. And that's the balance of the science and the art of what you do. And then helping organizations sometimes find their way. Uh, and if for anybody out there that's listening, it's like thinking about strategic planning. And you're like, I have the first freaking clue about how I would start doing that. That's something that, that Envision is well-versed in doing, as well as creating fundraising plans. And talk about depth on the bench. You have a nice menu that is backed up by quality people. So for me personally, having had multiple interactions with Envision and multiple people in the organization, it's an impressive organization to to work with. And I highly recommend. Thank you, Edward. I I did not pay you for this. Nope. That was unsolicited. That was my own doing. And truly, thank you. I get yelled at all the time by my partner and by my staff that I don't sell (laughs) Envision. And I don't sell Envision on this show. I want to sell you. 
but thank you very much. I appreciate you. You make us look good, by the way, because yes, we placed you, but like you did it and you make us look so good every day. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you do. And I hope that you have a fantastic rest of the day. I really appreciate you joining us for the third time. We did it. It's been my pleasure. <laughs> I saved this correctly. So we are going, we're going to make this good. People are going to love you. So thank you, Edward, so much. And where can people find Jay Nolan? www.jnolan.org. And there is a lot of great info on there. And you can get me directly if you've got questions you want to ask me. It's just go to the staff and then you can email any one of the leadership team. They're there. Cool. And we're going to have people do that because again, I want to go back to that soapbox. Folks who want to hire folks who are your clients or truly anywhere in California, please bother Edward. He wants your email. So yes, I, do. Right. <laughs> I hope your inbox gets huge. All right. Thank you, Edward. I hope you have a lovely evening. You too, man. Thanks so much. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Matt. So what'd you think of my friend Edward? Honestly, I loved Edward. I loved his message. And I wish I were in a position to hire. Because if I were, I would be heading to Jay Nolan right now to find some awesome employees. Yeah. I mean, I love having conversations with CEOs about, you know, about what they do and about the population that they serve and the issues that nonprofits are fixing, because that's what we do. And this one just, again, it's my thing. And I cannot stress enough for the folks who are listening. It is so important. These are folks who can be hired and should be and deserve to be. So I definitely hope people, um, People think about that the next time that they're looking to hire. And again, anytime that we can have a, a show that can send a message, that's our goal here. I love it. And I agree hundred percent. I loved how your first recognition that people who have disabilities are just like us was when you got totally just chewed out by one of your clients at your first job. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I deserve that. And uh, they can chew me out just like anybody else. <laughs> yeah, they, they could be dicks just like everybody else. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. That was a really important realization though. But that at the end of the day, I have a question for you, Ashley. I think this is a really good question for me to ask you. What do you think is the percentage of the population who are just dicks? Oh my gosh. I don't know exactly what my answer to that is. I do know that if you were to go back in time, that each year you ask me that question, I would be giving you a higher answer exponentially. And maybe it's just because of all of the like conversations we've been having of late about Karens in the world, et cetera. But yeah, what do you think? Oh, a good 99%. Like I'm up there, 99%. Just <laughs> you know, oh, it's funny. I was at a restaurant this week and I asked our server, I was like, what's the worst customer that you've ever had? And she said that when her very first job, I think she was like at Macaroni Grill or, or something. And like, they didn't have chicken parm. And the guy who was her customer, like yelled at her. Then she went to the bathroom to cry because she was like 19. And then he went up to her boss and was like, she's crying. She needs to be fired. That's an example of people being terrible. Please tell me the boss did not acquiesce and fire her. I didn't get to that point. I don't know. I was shocked. Tell her because he was eating at Macaroni Grill and he wanted it to be Olive Garden. And so he wanted there to be something else on the menu. And then when she got upset because of how he made her feel, 
he went to her boss to try to get her fired for her getting upset at how he made her feel. Yeah, no, that that's a guy who is headed for the underworld. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And so all of that to say that <laughs> I'm doing my best, Ashley. I'm doing my best. I really am. But like, God, there are days, right? There are just days. There are days and there are people. But to bring it back to the positive, I think that's one thing truly that I love about our show is that, you know, you turn on the news, you get all this negativity. You go out your front door, you get all this negativity. Honestly, um, you listen to our show, though, and you listen to the people that are out there fighting the good fight and doing the good in the world and having this vision and then the follow through to make it happen and the lives that they're changing and the people they're impacting. And that is what restores my faith. And it's my favorite thing about this job. That and working with you naturally. I was, I was waiting for that. I was hoping. (laughs) By the way, listeners, Matt held up a cue card. I mean, I just, I feel like it's a given. I'll tell you something that I still every day remember is when we, when we interviewed Amy from the Downtown Women's Center. And she was like, every time that you use your key to unlock your door to your house, just remember how lucky you are because not everybody has one. And like, so every day when I come home and I unlock my door every day, I'm like, you're right. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for reminding me how lucky I am. So yes, like really honestly, I hope that people listen to this show and get something out of it. Just one thing out of it will make me happy. So thank you. That key is a talisman is such a good reminder to us all. As crazy as things get, how freaking grateful we all should be. Well, speaking of grateful, I am super grateful that you interviewed one of my good friends for our next episode, Omi Crawford, who is the director of Law Rocks. And she is just one of my favorite people on the planet. So I'm really excited that she got to tell you about the cool work she's doing over there. I mean, lawyers playing in rock bands in a competition to raise money for nonprofits. Come on, that's amazing. It seems like there's an inordinate amount of people in this profession that can both be good lawyers and good musicians. Yeah, no, I know. It's really cool. And it's a cool organization. And I love Omi. So that makes me really happy. And then we're going to round out season five with me interviewing my partner here at Envision, Allison Fuller. And she does not know what she is in for. (laughs) That is an interview that I am so looking forward to. You and Allison have... Such a long history, such great chemistry. You know everything about each other. Hopefully you'll be able to both enlighten and entertain our audience to the fullest. I hope so. And by the way, I hope every single person we've placed might actually listen to the show. That would be nice, right? That'd be nice. (laughs) That would also be very nice. All right, Ashley. So on that amazing note, is there anything else that you'd like to leave with our listener, Genevieve and Kim? As always, you can find us on our Instagram at nonprofit underscore on underscore the underscore rocks. We are also streaming on YouTube or find us on the web at envisionnonprofit.com.